You may have heard of the practice of putting coins over the eyelids of the deceased, essentially so that the dead person's soul would be able to pay their way into the underworld. But where does this custom come from? Let's find out in this week's episode of Fabulous Folklore. Hello there and welcome to Fabulous Folklore, the podcast for all things folklore, occult and just a bit weird. I'm your host, Icy Sedgwick, blogger, fantasy author and your guide into these rather mysterious realms. I've got some rare things to show you, so come on in, take a look around, but be careful not to touch anything. These things sometimes bite. Well, hello there and welcome back to Fabulous Folklore with me, your host, Icy Sedgwick. I hope that your October isn't going too badly at the moment at the time of recording. It's absolutely throwing it down here. So if you can hear any rain in the background, I haven't been adding ambient weather sounds or anything like that. It is just actual weather. So just in case you're wondering there. If you can't hear it, awesome. Just ignore everything I just said. So this week we are continuing with our theme of all things weird and Octobery and we're going to be meeting Charon, the legendary ferryman of Greek myth. Now, Charon is quite an interesting figure because while he is part of Greek mythology, he kind of continually pops up outside of it as well. So we're going to take a look at his legend, how he appears in popular culture and how he's ended up being twinned with the Grim Reaper in some cases. So I hope you enjoy this week's episode. I should point out, obviously, the last couple of episodes, I have been alerting people to the fact that I'm doing the Name the Plague Doctor competition. This is the last week for that because I want to be able to announce the winner on Halloween. So if you do want to enter the Name a Plague Doctor competition, you'll find the link below. So hopefully you'll have a go at that. And if you do win, not only do you get to name the Fabulous Folklore mascot, you will also win a signed copy of my collection Black Dog and Other Gothic Tales in which all the short stories are actually inspired by folklore in some way. Even if in the case of one of them I kind of made the folklore up myself but never mind that's the joy of being a writer. Speaking of which I am also going to be doing a writing workshop with Romancing the Gothic on how to use folklore in your fiction and that's kind of in the sense of retelling old stories or using bits of folklore within new stories so if you're interested in taking part in that again on Halloween I've put the sign up link below in the show notes so please feel free to come along you'd be most welcome. So without any further ado let's get on with this week's episode of Fabulous Folklore. So Charon is the ancient ferryman of Greek myth and he does kind of pop up even where other deities get ignored or forgotten. Some people simply refer to him as the ferryman, and even where he loses his name in these instances, we still know who we're referring to. Now, in simple terms, Charon ferried the dead across the River Styx, or sometimes the Asheron, it varies depending on the source, and this journey took them from the land of the living into the underworld. Now, obviously, as you might imagine, such a journey wasn't free, Charon required payment and people would bury their dead with a coin known as an obol in their mouth and in popular culture it often manifests through characters leaving coins over the eyes of the deceased and there is a beautiful painting that's called Charon and Psyche if you want to google it on my blog and the link for that is below where Charon is actually taking payment from Psyche's mouth as she enters the underworld. Now, if you couldn't pay the fare, you were then doomed to wander the banks of the river forever. So, a little bit harsh if you don't have the obol. And Charon would also only take you across once your body was buried, 
or you'd been waiting 100 years for him to take you across. Obviously, again, that's if you've got the fee. Now, in all honesty, weighting the eyelids with coins probably had more to do with keeping the eyes closed post-mortem. But it does look cool in films. And if you've ever seen the Disney animated version of A Christmas Carol, you'll see right in the opening scene, the very penny-pinching Scrooge actually takes back the coins that have been keeping Marley's eyelids closed. Which is a wonderful way of showing what a miser somebody is, in my humble opinion. Now, as long as you had the fact, Charon would occasionally let living beings into the underworld as well. And these include Orpheus trying to rescue Eurydice, Dionysus trying to retrieve his mother's soul, and Dante. And I should point out, obviously, out of all of these, Dionysus was a god. So I can't help thinking that there were slightly different rules in play here. But unlike Orpheus, Dionysus succeeded in bringing Semele back to the world of the living. So well done him. Now, if the living wanted to enter the underworld, they needed to present Charon with a golden bow. And in the Aenad, Aeneas uses it to enter the underworld to visit his father. And obviously, because you would need the bow for the return trip, you'd have to hang on to it while you were in the underworld so that you could get back across the sticks to the land of the living. Now, I've just mentioned the Aenead and Charon does pop up in literature in the sixth book of the Aenead described by Virgil. He does appear in Dante's Inferno and he gets name-checked in Shakespeare's Troilus and Cressida. And in more recent pop culture, he appeared in the 2010 remake of Clash of the Titans and the 2007 film The Ferryman, as well as being referenced in From Hell from 2001. The Ferryman is a really interesting concept and a really, really terrible film. So, yeah, wouldn't recommend. The Clash of the Titans remake, I did quite like the way that Charon was actually part of the boat. So he kind of grows out of the, the front of the boat, which I think, or it might be the back, I can't remember, it's that long since I've seen it. But either way, he is part of the boat. And I thought that was an interesting way of looking at him. Whereas in From Hell, he's just referenced through what characters are doing. Now, according to Francis A. Sullivan, while the ferryman pops up in the literature of the 5th and 6th centuries, he does also appear on Etruscan monuments in the 4th century. And people actually believe that he's even older. And Diodorus Siculus actually suggested he was an Egyptian import. I'm not entirely sure how, because the Egyptian journey to the afterlife did take a very different route. But there we go, that was what Diodorus Siculus suggested. Now, literature does portray Charon as, and I quote, the busy, impatient ferryman anxious to get the shades aboard and be off to the other side, end quote. And in some tales, he chivies the dead onto his boat. And there's an illustration by Gustav Dore, which is for the, the Dante's Inferno reference, where he's actually beating people to get them into his boat. And like many mythological beings, his appearance does change over time. And for Seneca, he was an old haggard man armed with a long pole for guiding his boat. And then Dante gave him fiery eyes, because why not? And as well as him appearing in this beautiful Dory illustration, I mean, Dory is a fantastic artist anyway, but he also appears in The Last Judgment by Michelangelo in the Sistine Chapel. And by this point, he's gone from simply being the ferryman taking people back and forward across the sticks. And he's basically beating anyone up who's trying to hold up his boat. And he's right at the side of the, the painting with an oar, ready to start hammering anybody who's not getting into the boat or trying to stop people getting into the boat, as the case may be. So we can see, therefore, that he starts out as this old guy and then he becomes quite a violent guy who's beating people up who are essentially holding up his job. And nowadays, he's essentially often seen as a living skeleton in a cowl. He's nearly always considered to be ancient, although his true nature is quite difficult to pin down because he's not a god, 
but he's not one of the other types of immortal beings either, you know, like the nymphs and, and what have you. He's not one of those. And he almost seems to exist in a class of his own. And as a result, it's quite interesting that the gods also have to abide by what his rules are as well. Like, they can't even get around him. So in this regard, he's possibly closer to the fates where even the gods can't change what the fates have decreed about someone's life. So it's almost like he kind of works in that sort of class of being where even the gods have to obey him, which is quite interesting. Now, Charon is also interesting in that the concept of paying the ferryman existed long after worship of the Greek gods ceased. And Christina Vidal Lorenzo notes that the custom of leaving a coin as Charon's payment actually even appears in 11th century literature. And there is a possibility that the practice continued throughout the Middle Ages, albeit reworked for the Christian church. And here you would find people had been buried with coins, but they were usually bearing Christian symbols, perhaps to protect against the devil, because obviously you wouldn't need to pay for passage to the underworld if you thought you were going to heaven, but you might want to buy off any demons that you might encounter on the way. Now, if you do believe the literary tradition, then putting coins into graves was exceedingly popular. And how else were you going to pay Charon? And it is, as I say, this point that's made in From Hell when a victim's corpse is found with coins over her eyes. Now, according to MH at the Death in Antiquity blog, the O-Ball, and this is the coin that people were buried with, was a bronze coin worth a sixth of a drachma. And that equated to a day's wage for most people. So the fee actually becomes extremely affordable, and you would therefore imagine that most graves would contain the fare. But in actual fact, they don't, and this is what does then lead some people to question how widespread the practice actually was, or was it one of those word-of-mouth things that people talk about now, based on a handful of examples, without it actually being a widespread belief. And to be fair, Panagiotis Selakas believes that the archaeological evidence doesn't back up the tradition at all, because a lot of burials don't actually include coins, and in the ones that do, the number of coins varies, and often the coins are silver or gold, they're not actually bronze at all. But here we'll have to take into account that we've got these contradictions, and MH at Death in Antiquity actually goes so far as to suggest that the coins had nothing to do with the Charon myth at all. And Lucia Trevani also points out that the coin can only be called Charon's Obol if it's found in the mouth. So many of the coins that are found in graves are more likely to be offerings or gifts for the dead to use in the next life. And in this regard, they kind of become grave goods rather than the ferryman's fee. And a lot of writers point out there's quite a lot of contradictions in the practice. And you do have to ask some what sound like facetious questions, but they're probably worth bearing in mind. And that's what currency do they actually use in the underworld? Does the fee take inflation into account? And does Charon just accept the symbolic act of payment, if not the financial exchange? What does he do with all this money when he collects it? I mean, they, they do sound, as I say, like quite facetious questions, but I am quite interested. Like, what does Charon spend all of this on? I, I don't know. You know, and this is why I find it quite an interesting concept. But Kelgrin de Hansen does make the point that Charon never really attained an official place in Greek mythology. So he, he appears as a side character in various myths and so on, but he doesn't have any myths actually about him, where he's the main character, if that makes sense. But this is the funny thing, though, despite that, despite the fact he hasn't got his own myths and he's not an official deity, his popularity continued, and instead he often pops up in contemporary literature instead. And interestingly, by 500 BC, he'd even become a symbol for death itself. So while death pops up with his scythe and takes souls into the great hereafter, Charon merely ferries them across the sticks. So in this regard, he's playing the role of a courier in a way, simply getting them from A to B. 
Now, I should point out at this point that the Greek pantheon did indeed have a god of death and no, it wasn't Hades. Hades was essentially the king of the underworld and it was also the name of the underworld as well. But the actual god of death was Thanatos. So he might arrive to escort the soul of the dead from wherever they died to the jetty by the sticks. And he's essentially again acting as getting you from A to B so then the next person can take over in this peculiar sort of relay into the underworld. Now, if you were a particularly notable person, you would get the god Hermes as your escort instead of Thanatos. But either way, both Thanatos and Hermes here take on the role of the psychopomp in that they are guiding the soul where they need to go next. Now, I should point out Thanatos is not a terrifying figure and he's often invoked alongside his brother Hypnos, the god of sleep. So there's, it's quite difficult to find anything scary about Thanatos. So I think in a lot of ways, in my head, he reminds me a little bit of Death from the Sandman, whereas it's kind of a figure just doing their job, just getting on. There's nothing malevolent about them. They're just performing a function and they're performing it quite well. So it is quite interesting to have a look at the difference between Thanatos and, and Charon and the reason why Charon's the one who survived not Thanatos. And to be fair, there had been an association between Charon and death in the classical period because John Cuthbert Lawson actually notes that the door through which condemned prisoners were led to their executions was actually known as the door of Charon. Now Sullivan does note that in more recent centuries the name Hades referred to the underworld itself rather than its ruler, which I mentioned just before there. And Charon then becomes Charos, becomes its ruler rather than the ferryman. And then this promotion leads to other new duties as well. So instead of just taking souls across the sticks, which does sound like it might get a little bit tedious, the new Karos ventures forth on a black horse to snatch up the dead. And according to Bergen, Beauchamp and Newell, and I quote, the young walk before him, the old behind, and young babes are cowed on his saddle, end quote. If we move over to Etruscan mythology, he was called Karun, and was more, that's with a U rather than O, and he was more commonly portrayed as a hammer-wielding death demon. And he then survives in modern Greek folklore as Karos, the angel of death. Now, I do think that the alternative view of Charon as the Grim Reaper is what essentially fuels the film The Ferryman that I mentioned earlier. And in short, there's a character in it who hasn't paid the ferryman, and it's a nameless sort of shape-shifting kind of creature. And the ferryman basically pursues this creature through the centuries as it hops through bodies to avoid this final meeting. So the film is at pains to point out that you can't actually cheat the ferryman, which means that you can't cheat death either. But either way, whichever version of Charon you prefer, whether you prefer him as the ferryman, if you prefer him as the ruler of Hades riding forth on his horse to collect souls, or whichever version it might be, one thing is clear. He has somehow transcended the limits of Greek mythology, and he is often now referred to simply as the ferryman. And he has also become this peculiar pop cultural icon that represents death, but without being the Grim Reaper. So what I want to know is which version of Charon do you prefer? Have you got a favourite indeed? I don't know, so I'm asking. So if you do have a favourite, do please let me know. If you can think of any other pop culture things where Charon appears, obviously that aren't like from Hell and Clash of the Titans and so on, again, please do let me know because it's always quite cool to be able to collect these things together because I am always interested in how mythological figures make that leap into pop culture even now as well. Which does lead me into my little reminder again about the workshop on using folklore in your fiction on Halloween. So yeah, click the link below if you want to sign up for that. Anyway, that is the end of this week's episode. I should point out that if you are a Patreon supporter, I will be sending out the exclusive episode very shortly. Last month we looked at the Highgate Vampire, who's ended up being incredibly popular. 
And this month we're going to be having a look at all the vampire and creature stories and so on about the Glasgow necropolis instead. So we're kind of still looking at like spooky monster type stories in the British Isles because let's be honest, it is October and it's nearly Halloween and it's just basically that time of it. I should point out that next week I am going to give you a special treat. So instead of just having the one episode, which is going to be on the folklore of the dead house, and you've got to say it like that, you can't just go dead house because that just sounds rubbish, but we are doing the folklore of the dead house. And I am also going to be doing a reading of one of my short stories, which was actually inspired by the folklore of the dead house. So you're going to get like a bonus fiction episode next week, as well as the regular episode as well. So I hope you enjoy that. As I say, get your entries in for the Name of the Plague Doctor competition with the link below. And as I say, if you want to sign up for the writing workshop, please do. It would be lovely to see you there. So in the meantime, have a marvellous week ahead and I will see you soon. Cheerio. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. I hope that you enjoyed it. If you did, feel free to subscribe using whichever podcast app it is that you prefer. If you do use iTunes, if you could leave me a review, that would be fab. Basically, it just means iTunes are more likely to recommend this to other people. And if you're interested in more folklore, please feel free to swing by my blog, which is www.icsedgwick.com. And that's Sedgwick spelled S-E-D-G-W-I-C-K. And you can find all of the links, images and other bits and pieces that hopefully you enjoy. So have an absolutely fab week ahead and I'll see you soon. Cheerio.